Sasha Thompson is a respected and certified DEI coach. For the next 30 minutes, we'll get an exclusive look at some of her conversations with others in the field. Welcome to DEI After Five. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DEI After Five. This episode is one that I think so many of you will get just nuggets of information from. You know, as practitioners or as folks that are in the DEI space, we often get connected to people through LinkedIn or some other social community or network. And this guest, my next guest, um, is someone that I've been following for a while. And, you know, his approach to this work and his unapologetic stance in this work is something that I, I just absolutely love. And I think we need to have more of it. And so today I want to welcome my guest, Farzine Farzad. Um, and it's, first of all, this is the first time like you and I've actually had like conversation, conversation, but we've been following each other for a while. <laughs> you know, for a while. So thank you so much for, for joining uh, me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the kind words. I mean, it's, it's reciprocal. I've been following you for, for quite some time and I'm so honored that uh, I'm here. Thank you. So let's start off with, you know, how did you get into this work? Because um, most of us did not, at least when we started a few years back, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I want to be in diversity and inclusion. <laughs> um, so how did you get into this this work? Yeah, thank you. So um, I, it haphazardly, I think like most most people. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in my 20s, I did a lot of work with uh, human rights. Um, I come from uh, uh, an ethnic minority in Iran, and uh, I did a lot of work um kind of doing advocacy for my own community and then, uh, you know, linguistic and cultural rights in Iran and the greater Middle East. And I got a chance to kind of travel and, and, and speak to those things and, you know, visit Europe, visit the UN and, and kind of talk about um, a lot of these things and, and represent, you know, my people and kind of do some work on um, democratization and stuff like that in my, in my twenties um, traveled a bit, you know, I did a, I did a, kind of had like a late quarter life crisis or like <laughs> you know, when I was hitting my thirties and then like mm -hmm. uh, uh, did a study abroad, came back to the U S and um, when I came back, like I was just kind of, Hey, I got to start, uh, you know, all over again kind of thing. And um, found a job at a, a, at a local university, George Mason, which was uh, close to me in Northern Virginia one thing led to another. Um, I was working in human resources, talent acquisition. And then I was like, look, I have all these like skills and, you know, identity, like it was identity conflict and things like that. But like, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of transferable skills. So I started, you know, lobbying for myself and picking up some, some DEI stuff because I thought it was very relevant until like the idea was to eventually transition back into doing uh, human rights work. And then, so like, I just liked it a lot. And then one thing led to another, I picked on, I was doing diver, uh, recruiting uh, for diversity. Then I was doing more and more DEI projects. Um, went to private sector, got a job doing full-time DEI work and that encompassed all of this stuff. And then uh, 
local government, um, got a chance to work with uh, equity as well, racial equity, not just within the workforce, but also the people we're serving. So that kind of blended my human rights background a little bit. So that was, you know, uh, I love that. And then I started Critical Equity uh, summer of 2020 um, upon the urging of a lot of friends and family saying like, you know, you can, you can do this alone. You can do this on the side. You don't need uh, to, to kind of be at the mercy of a, an organization. So, so the, yeah, that's, that's how I got here. I think it was not a very straight path. It was uh, moving back and forth and just kind of fell into it. I appreciate um, that, that path and that story, because I think it makes so much sense having followed you for a while, seeing that human rights piece mm-hmm. tie into your post, right? And, and the work that you do. And so one of the things that really stood out for me was you talk a lot about liberation mm-hmm. and, and power. Um, and for most DEI practitioners, right, we're still having this conversation about equity and <laughs> inclusion and, and belonging, which is a whole other story. But, you know, this is almost seen as radical. Like in this space, it's, you know, this isn't about uh, appeasing sensitivities or, you know, coddling fragility, right? Right. This is, okay, let's take this to the next level. This is kind of DEI 202, 302, 402 type stuff, right? So what would you say is kind of the difference or needed in that transition from where we are now to this conversation around power and, and liberation? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I've, I've been doing this work for some time and, it, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time designing interventions and, and kind of trainings and, and figuring out like ways to interact properly in the workplace without uh, levying harm and stuff like that. And I do all, uh, I've been doing all this work, right? And um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just to do these interventions, get people excited. And then within weeks, like people revert back to the same old, same old mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so um, I, I made the decision uh, over uh, at some time when, you know, I, I realized that, you know, equity was an interim step. Right. It's 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 what you have to do to get somewhere. Right. You're, you're seeking justice. Right. And then so, like, you know, I thought, like why don't we, why don't we, you know, we're designing all of these things to get there and it's been decades that we're trying to do this. Why don't we just go straight to it? You know, like, let's just, uh, yeah, we're developing equity programs and stuff like that, but let's really call out the justice that we want to see and bring that closer to us um, rather than kind of talking about it from so many layers removed that we got to do this, then we got to do this, that we got to finally receive justice. And so, I started doing a lot of research and I'm like, okay, so all of my, you know, the entire DEI field and a lot of what I've learned so far and all of my interventions are going from the individual layer to the cultural layer. We're finally realizing mm-hmm. that environments shape behaviors and all these things that we need to, and then the cultural layer also is not that deep, right? It's still dependent on structures and power and uh, systems, right? So I decided like, okay, at some point we have to go start talking about those systems that eventually influence culture, that eventually influence individual behavior. 
So uh, in, you know, in our systems, um, societally, we talk about how our democracy is designed, right? What does that, but what does that look like for organizations? That's organizational design, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, if we democratize society, you know, we have, the more we democratize, I mean, there are layers of democracy, right? There's, you know, representative and all the way to full participation, direct democracy, um, and there's even variations of full-on participation in, in, in democracy. So then I'm like, okay, so I have this background in international affairs and, demo and democratization and things like that. So, you know, why not just kind of use that for the workplace? And if we spend, you know, eight hours a day in the workplace in these authoritarian systems, right, uh, where we have to appeal to those at the top, like we're, we're begging people who have power over us to be nicer to us and to, to promote mm -hmm. us and to do all things, things for us when, when we should have the power, when we should distribute the power. And so, uh, you know, it's radical in that um, in that the people at the top don't like it. It's right. but if you ask majority of society, you know, as individual contributors or even like uh, managers, that we, wouldn't you rather have uh, some degree of say in decision making and distribute and, and more wealth uh, generated from your labor? Isn't that you know appealing to you? Like everybody except for C-suite would say yes, right? Mm -hmm. Like they would be, you know, the C-suite would be ceding some power and possibly some wealth. So um, it's not it's not radical in the sense that um, it's uh, like people don't accept it. It's radical in the sense that those at the top don't want you to talk about these things. And so the power uh, shift. The, it's a yeah, exactly. It's a complete yeah. shift in the power paradigm, both in the workplace and resultantly throughout society. So, um, so so to make a long story short. We went from individual to cultural. Now we got to go from cultural to systemic, true systemic. Right. Like where is, how is power distributed? Because unless you don't, unless you do that, you are still appe appealing to people's like humanity. Right. And to some degree it may work. You might have some marginal reform over time, but we don't need that. We need, we need a complete overhaul. We need revolutionary approaches because mm -hmm. people are dying and also the planet's, you know, dying. So it has to be much more drastic in order for us to survive and to, you know, live really. Right. I love, I love what you're saying because I think it is a shift that needs to take place. And it's, you know, how do you get people to see that if they let go of some of that power, that it'll impact and help everyone succeed, right? And so it's it's changing mindsets of, and you talk about this a little bit in, in your work too, around you know the place that capitalism plays mm -hmm. in all of this, um, and and who benefits from that, especially in this DEI space. And I've had conversations with other you know folks in this space, other professionals in this space, and there's a frustration that those that are the most marginalized that are doing this work tend to get the least amount of this work, right? And aren't necessarily paid, not just for their lived experience, but for their professional experience as well in this space. And then you see the folks that are making the money, right? Big, big dollars um, in this space that aren't marginalized probably in, in very many ways. 
And so you start to see how capitalism eats into this justice work and what that looks like and aligning values and words and actions. And so, yeah. No, I, I, I love, I mean, a lot of what I talk about is rooted in capitalism and not just, not just because how um, capitalism tends to concentrate wealth and power in the hands of a few and because it's it's developed by Europe, Europeans over the centuries, it's going to be maintained by Europeans over the centuries and their descendants mm-hmm. in the U.S., Canada, Australia, South Africa, right? So, um, and and resultantly throughout the globe, right? So white supremacy and capitalism are go hand in hand. So even that aside, even if you if if you okay, that's we take that as a given. Also, our organizations are designed to prop this up too. So, capitalism is 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 maintained through a hierarchy. Like once you distribute power and wealth, it's no longer capitalism; it's uh, it's cooperative economics. Right. So, um, and you're not competing with one another. You're actually like collaborating and finding ways to distribute your wealth and uh, your labor to where it needs to be to maintain society. So, but not for the purpose of making rich people even richer so capital like capital isn't deployed at the whim of the hands of a few capital right. uh, capital is deployed based on how society determines right. it's needed right and so our organizations do the same thing so our organizations are rooted in capitalist hierarchy where concentration goes all the way to the top now once you distribute right once you flatten the organization out it becomes less and less capitalistic and more uh, beneficial, you know, for, for everyone. Right. So, um, I, I talk about like both, uh, capitalism as a system, but also the cultural effects of capitalism. Like what, what does it do to our minds? Right. And mm-hmm. so for, for leaders, it, uh, um, in, in these very hierarchical s- structures, right. We, we've heard the term where we've heard the phrase absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there's multiple layers to that. Like, yes, it's corruptive as like we know that, but also like it's so stressful, right? We put a lot of, of risk and responsibility into these individuals when I'm talking to leaders and they're like, why should I care? And I'm like, well, imagine you've, you've created an environment where people are in, in your organization where people are, are able to kind of contribute freely and generate ideas. Psychological safety is actually built in because the power is diffused. There's no differentials in power. And so um, when something happens, when something goes wrong, like you're not forced to resign. It's the entire organization is at fault because you've had multiple mechanisms and multiple um, uh, eyes on a particular issue that you can, generate ideas from how to solve that in real time through the collective right mm-hmm. and so uh it, that part of it is is appealing like okay well like you know even for uh for man like you know the great we're talking about the great resignation and stuff and it's it's, it's non-stop talking about individual contributors but managers aren't doing well either no not at all <laughs> so um it's just a lot of weight to carry in, in a hierarchical organization but in, in in these it's just in these distributed power structures right where um we eventually get to what we call self-managed organizations or self-management um it's just a much 
more of a weight is lifted on you and you're relying on and what we should be relying is, is innately in our human nature is the power of the collective. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's benef benefits kind of to all of this. This is really tying into um, the conversation I had with Dia Khanna, right? Yeah. About just the importance of community. And we were talking about it from, you know, practitioner standpoint, but then also it touched into exactly what you're saying. It's if there's this distribution of quote unquote power, um, the onus isn't just on one person to right. lift the weight or to carry the weight. It's the community is there. And if one person falls, there's somebody there to pick it up. Absolutely. Right. And and that's an understood um, aspect of being a part of that community. And so when you look at it from a corporate structure or how we're um, looking at some of these organizations, you're really asking them to like, let's dismantle the structure. Right? right. So that it is equitable. Yes, you can still make money. Right. You can still serve your customers. But how you do that in a way that allows for everyone to be a part of and feel as if they're valued as a part of this larger system brings so you can probably get so much more out of that than what you're seeing right now. Right. You'll get less turnover, which yeah. I think there was some statistic that I saw. It was like over, you know, seven thousand dollars per person just when someone announces that they were, you know, they're resigning. Right. Wow. That's not yeah. the added amount of, you know, now having to find someone to fill that role, et cetera, et cetera. So you're really looking at this as, okay, how can we totally rethink and reshape how we operate as an organization so that everyone can benefit? Everyone is successful um, and everyone has what they need in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that that is just something I don't think a lot of practitioners think about um, as they're doing this work, because right. it's how do we do this work in the system that we're already in, which may or may not change anything. Yeah, I mean that's by design. I think a lot of DEI yeah. come from the management field and not from, and that's why, like, you know. Uh, I don't want to toot my own horn, but like I, I, I grew up differently, right? I grew up for the area of human rights. And I understood democratization. I, I, like I grew up as an anti-capitalist, right? So um, I think I, I, I bring this approach to my work, and um, I came to find out, like over time, like I'm not alone here. There's a lot of people, mm -hmm. a lot of research on this. And going back to your point about um, about uh, uh, attrition, you, you know, a lot of cooperatives and a lot of self-managed organizations have near 100% rates of retention. Yeah. Like it's not this, like you're not consistently striving to uh, go up. First off, you're paid very well. You know, everybody's mm -hmm. paid because it's distributive and you're not striving to like go up the chain as a, uh, as a successful, your, your success is defined by how you're contributing and you're just picking up skills and contributing where it needs to be. Right. Mm -hmm. to, you're uh, the, the management consultant, Gary Hamilton, uh, uh, Greg Hamilton, sorry, talks about how people are like Swiss army knives, but these job functions, like, you know, force you to use just one tool. Yeah. Right? And so it, this is, this is, and this ties back to all, uh, to this concept of liberation, right? How are you truly liberated in the workplace? And so, um, uh, when I'm talking through these things, I, you know, this is so important for DEI as well, because like yeah. your, your liberation of your, 
your wealth, your promotion, like promotions to like uh, your material being, your labor is tied to your identity and your uh, liberation of your identity is tied to your wealth, right? And so we're trying to bridge the gaps and bridge these disparities. Um, and so, which which is where I'm coming from, which is I originated from, you know, racial justice and kind of uh, identity-based justice. And so I'm approaching this field from this end as opposed to, hey, I'm uh, interested in distributive economics and I'm, I'm looking at it. I, I, I want to learn more about racial justice. So, but like right. the people that are coming from both ends are reaching this, these same conclusions that, wow, like these arrangements are so much better. And then when you go to uh, different uh, parts of the world, you know, not just different parts of the uh, country, but different parts of the world, you, you see how these arrangements, like uh, these cooperative arrangements are doing wonders for the most harmed in society, right? Yeah. They bring together, they create these like, uh, you know, corporations or uh, organizations that are distributed. And so it makes much more natural sense to them, to their cultures. Um, and also it is uh, lib liberationist, right? So, um, people are like being freed from uh just the daily grind of trying to you know like the hamster wheel basically trying to kind of yeah you know run through keep and and keep <laughs> yeah exactly you know you said something just now it just clicked for me i was just like oh going out on my own was liberation like i thought i mean i, I knew it was but i think for me at the time it was more out of um Self-care is what comes to mind because I was just dealing in such a toxic environment for me. But the aha that I had recently was, you know, someone sent me a job description and I was just like, I have so much more to offer than this job description. And it's being able to tap into all of the talents that you have to be able to work in a way that you're not stuck in an environment that sucks <laughs> the energy and life out of you. Um, because you have to fit into this particular box in order to do what they deem is successful, right? right? And so, you know, I find in this work over the last, you know, two years, I absolutely love being able to put multiple hats on, right? And I, I love that you do come from a background that's very different than the quote unquote typical DEI background, right? So many people come from HR and that's a whole other conversation. And that's probably a thread that people know now on this show um, is like, that's not the end all be all, right. right? Of this, it's interdisciplinary. It's understanding and knowing my background was in sociology and I focused on cultural diversity and ethnicity. So I wanted to know and understand like how different cultures operated, what was important to them, because it's all not the same. Right. And so if you bring people from different cultures into an organization that has a very particular culture, naturally, it's not going to always fit. Right. And so how do you create one that meets all of the needs of all the cultures that you're pulling together, which is a very different way of how to do this work? Right. So I want to do a little bit of a pivot because one of the things that um, I saw that you worked on that I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just freaking brilliant, <laughs> um, are these tenets of solidarity, right? And so just for those that don't know, and you can definitely 
um, see these on his website. You know, so anti-racism is global. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the first tenet. Sovereignty before solidarity. Mm-hmm. I see that on your wall back there. <laughs> um, Democrat- <laughs> democratized power, which we you know talked about. Mm-hmm. Democratize risk and then inoculate the mind. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely love those. And again, for anyone go on his website, it's right there. You can dive deep into those. But there was something that you said that I, I had to write down because I want us to talk about this. You said solidarity movements cannot be driven by the beneficiaries of white supremacist, supremacist capitalism. Instead, all communities must have an equal representation of their unique needs. Right. right. And so that's just kind of what we just talked about. It's there, that sovereignty piece is so critical in this work. Right. But we operate in spaces that it's not even an option. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Talk, yeah. Sure. Um, no, I, it, it took me a while to, I mean, a lot of that came from actually my own experience. And then I just like started like investigating a little bit more and like, uh, um, I, I, you know, through just conversations that I've seen from people from in the workplace online on social media and stuff like that, there was always these, uh, uh, like these, these attempts at forced unity, right? Oh, we, we, we have to unite rather than divide. And, you know, what you're speaking of is divisive. And, you know, even on, even on, like, if you go to the, you know, like all spectrums of the American left, they're still doing this. They're like, you know, these are political divisions. We can't. And then you sit and, and, and read into what these are, right? What are these political divisions? And they're literally the needs of communities that are not cis, white, uh, uh, male, like somewhat middle class and wealthy and above and stuff like that. And so like, and you're like, wow, this is, uh, you know, everybody's doing this. And so like, um, so like, uh, you know, my whole thing was like, withhold power until you are given an equal seat at the table right so like um you know you're, you're not obligated to join a movement where your me your needs are referred to as political divisions and i'm talking about communal needs cultural needs yeah or, or uh, referred to as political divisions or all these things that are meant to silence you yeah okay when you have this broad conversation about a universal concept like medicare for all that's you know, great, you know, that's going to benefit a lot of people and benefit a lot of people who've been harmed at a greater rate than, than white people in America. Right. Um, particularly black, indigenous, uh, uh, Latina, some, some immigrants. Right. Um, okay. So that's going to benefit all, but that's going to benefit in, in like the trajectory is going to be like this. It's not going to close the gaps. What we need to do, we that's not the be-all, end-all. So if you want people to kind of accept a, a policy like Medicare for all, you have to also talk about how doctors triage pain. You know, is, mm. is pain more uh, uh, valuable than black pain? You know, we've had we've heard number of reports about um, people dying because you know they're 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 ag- in agony and the doctor isn't like you know the doctor is like oh Leaving. yep exactly right so. All of those things. So that's why I'm like, uh, you know, what can we do as, a, as, as, you know, groups of people to elevate our voice 
Um, and, and that means that we have to all come to the table with our needs. Finding common ground, does that mean dismissing people and their needs? Finding common ground is finding a, a base and then moving and then uh, incorporating different things from a, from a groundwork. It doesn't mean, hey, only these ideas are important and those concepts and those needs are, you know, will come 5, 10, 15 years after we've done this first. Right. Yeah. So the concept of sovereignty before solidarity is like we all have to have our spaces. We need our spaces to represent ourselves and represent our unique needs and then come to that table as equals. Otherwise, uh, solidarity looks exactly like the same kind of calls from unity that you hear from the right, you know, from the Trumpists yeah. and so on and so forth. I, I love that. Um, because even when you hear, again, you know, Medicaid for all, there's so many communities that aren't even captured in that, right? When you think about the disability community and you think about all the hoops that they have to jump through in order just to get some basic medical needs met. Um, it's it's just, it's, it's infuriating, but at the same time, I think that's the importance of why this work has to go beyond just the corporate space. Um, Yes, it's something that's within corporate, but it also ties into public sector and education, you know, all of these other pieces of the pie that are, are trying to skirt around some of these topics. So I, I just wanted to point that, like, that was one that stood out for me. Like, yes, okay, I, I, I'm down for that. I don't yeah. have to be at your table if you're not willing to even talk about my issues or my needs. So right. I, I love that. So one of the questions that I um, always ask my guests is, you know, and then we've talked about it a little bit, is this work takes a lot out of you, right? This is this has been your life work. Um, you know, so many of us are in it because we live it every day. Like it's our lived experiences in addition to being educated in this space. And so we do a lot of giving. We do a lot of the research and all of that and sharing and, and trying to pull others in. And so we're always filling everyone else's cup. And so my question to you is what do you do to fill your cup? Like, again, I'm in my coconut water today, but um, what do you do to take care of yourself? Yeah, that's uh, admittedly something that I can do better with. Um, but uh, I do, I do find solidarity and community right like i i've been able to kind of um find like a, a community of people who are uh very similarly minded and in, in working deeply into the systems and interrogating and, and uprooting problematic systems and so we you know we talk but we also share personal experiences and life experiences and and, and so I, I've, I've been very fortunate to find find that uh, secondly, like, you know, it's always a good idea to kind of just find, you know, when we talked, we talked about space, retreat into that space, right? Find mm -hmm. your community, find your family, right? And then feel good about that, right? Feel good about exactly why you're doing this. And so like, um, a lot of the time, like, uh, you know, you know, when I'm spending time with my wife and son, like, um, it, it feels good because like, you know, there's a purpose to this, you know, like I don't want him to kind of experience some of the things that I experienced growing up and um, some of the hurt that still carries with me. 
Um, and, and lastly, you know, my presence on social media is kind of like both a, um, both a way of, uh, finding like common ground with people, but also a catharsis for me. Like, I think a lot of my posts are just rooted in certain types of anger that I've experienced that I just need to get it out. Like I need, and I know people have experienced certain things the same way. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I, I use social media as a way of, uh, and of course, like, you know, I ha it has to make sense. Other, like sometimes I, I, I write something down and I read it and I'm like, this, this doesn't, this is no sense. There's a conscious <laughs> at all. So, right. um, it has to make sense, but like, so I rewrite it and things like that. But I, you know, and I, I've come to a point where like I've said a lot of what I need to say and I'm like dialing it back a little bit because at this point it's become redundant. But like, but I, I've used that as a way of, um, you know, pe people kind of say, oh, like, you know, for Zena, like you, you speak out a lot, like, you, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't know if it's courage. Like, it's not, you, you say it's courage. I don't think it's courage. I just need to get it off my chest. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm not anticipating the consequences of this in the moment. So that may mm -hmm. be a, a fault, but, um, but the way I've done it, it seems like it's resonated with a lot of people. So um, if you have the ability to, not everybody has this like uh, ability to, because, because for like people like us, we're, we're, we're kind of out on our own. We we're not, we're not beholden to somebody else's biases and in, in, right. in what they might create in, in, in the work environment that we're in. Um, if you have that ability, like, you know, speak to it because I'm, I guarantee there's people out there that have had certain similar things. And then maybe when you speak to it and then contextualize it, and then add some science to it, add some data to it, add some research to it. It validates it for them, right? Yeah. It's like I'm not alone, not just because of both of us have experienced it, but there's all this research. Yeah, it. yeah. it's real, and so uh, that's kind of like kept me going for for, I mean, a certain amount of time. So I don't know if that's going to run out of, <laughs> you know. But those those are my my uh, ways of kind of like keep keeping going you know yeah no i appreciate that and farzine how can people connect with you sure um if you know if you like to kind of uh know more and just kind of see uh you know like some of my resources that i put out my website is criticalequity.com uh critical equity uh consulting is my business um linkedin is the my is where i'm most active um so feel free to connect with me on uh linkedin um uh on linkedin you can go and find my company and also see my company page i post a lot there too but uh all of like my upcoming um you know engagements uh appearances um webinars or like training opportunities that i have through other um, organizations that are like kind of open to the public i post a lot of them up there and i have a few coming up so you can uh, kind of check it out um but yeah linkedin's the best way to connect with me and i'll you know I accept everybody. So feel free to shoot a connection request or follow me if you don't feel comfortable. Love it. Farzine, thank you so much for this. And I'm going to tell anyone that is watching this right now, please follow him because like I said, I get life out of some, like his post. Oftentimes I'm just like, yeah, that, that thing. Exactly. Right. So I appreciate your, your voice in this space. Um, so thank you, Farzine. Thank you all for watching. Um, be sure to subscribe. Um, you can get us here, right? You can get us here on uh, YouTube 
or you can follow us up on your favorite podcast um, platform. So thank you for being here with us and we'll see you next time. Thank you.